Right now, there are people trying to trick you. They're trying to trick me. They're trying to dupe everyone that you and I know, everybody in South Africa. And they've been trying for a while. In fact, some of these people have been massively successful. I'm talking about orchestrated, organized, targeted misinformation campaigns on social media, particularly Twitter, that have been used to try to dupe South Africans to spread fake news and misinformation and try to blow issues that are actually quite small out of proportion and make them big ticket crises in South African social life. You've almost certainly heard about the biggest, most successful ones. You've probably witnessed some of the tweets and the posts and the retweets that are trying to trick you. And maybe you have been led astray. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've seen right through it. But many South Africans haven't. In fact, some of these campaigns have been so radically successful that they've already influenced the highest levels of political life. They've changed policies and speeches and agendas within some of our most powerful political parties. And a couple of them are absolutely committed to influencing the outcome of the 2024 general election. So let's look at these misinformation networks, what we know about them, how they operate, how some people are trying to thwart them, and how dangerous, how effective are these campaigns really? Like, might they really be able to influence, distort, twist, change the outcome of the upcoming election? This is the issue with disinformation networks in South Africa. This is the issue with Dan Corder, because we all know that South Africa is a movie. Welcome to the watch party. South Africa is wild and overwhelming. And on this show, we explain, analyze and understand the biggest news stories and issues facing this country every single week. Two episodes of The Issue come out every single week on podcast and also in video form on YouTube. And we also release weekly exclusive episodes of interviews and analysis on Patreon. Go find us there. Lastly, if you're new here and enjoy the episode, it would be so wonderful if you clicked subscribe or follow. It makes a huge difference as we develop the show going forward. Right, let's get into it. You may know by now that we have a Patreon channel of the show, of the issue, and that's subscribers who pay less than 100 rand a month. Firstly, that subscription helps us support and develop and keep the show alive, but it also gives subscribers once a week exclusive access to interviews with experts on some of the biggest issues facing South Africa. And this episode, this public access episode of the issue that you're listening to right now is inspired by a really fascinating but honestly quite scary interview with a man named Kamaran Peter. Now, Kamaran is, well, he wears many hats. I, and by that, I don't mean that he wears many beanies like me. He wears many like metaphorical hats. He's an author. He's an associate professor. Uh, and he works in some of the top academic institutions in South Africa. Uh, but for the purposes of this interview, he is the head of the CABC, which is the Center for Analytics and Behavioral Change, which is a South African organization, a nonprofit, which looks at how disinformation is being used to dupe South Africans online, particularly on Twitter. And what Kamaran and the CABC has uncovered in the last few years, they only started in 2020. So what they've uncovered in the last just over three years is really quite shocking. And I really encourage you to go and check out the full interview with him up on Patreon once again from a small subscription. You can just search Patreon and then the issue with Dan Corder. It's all there for you. But now let me give you just a little taste of what we can learn from Kamaran and his organization by explaining two things. Firstly, how these disinformation networks are working in South Africa and how some of them have already been massively successful. And secondly, let's talk about 
two particularly influential, powerful, successful disinformation networks campaigns that have already influenced South African life. Little spoiler, we're going to be talking about radical economic transformation, the RET campaign on Twitter in particular, and also the xenophobic mess of Operation Dodula, hashtag Operation Dodula, and hashtag Put South Africa First, and all of the associated politicians and influencers and people who claim to be journalists involved in that mess. But basically, the stoking of fears of foreigners and immigrants and the lies and disinformation being spread around that's trying to enable and provoke xenophobia in South Africans. Before I explain how these disinformation campaigns work, let's explain two things. The first one is why I'm saying disinformation instead of misinformation. And the reason why is quite simple. By definition, misinformation is fake news, untruths spread by people who don't realize that what they are spreading is untrue or fake. They have believed it. And so they very organic, naturally, authentically want to show other people this thing that they genuinely believe is true, but it's not. So that's misinformation. We're not talking about that now. We're going to talk about disinformation, although, of course, disinformation, like the role or the aim of a disinformation network is to try and get other people, normal civilians, to believe their disinformation, who will then spread it organically themselves as unwitting agents of the disinformation network. And then when they spread it, what they are doing is misinformation, but often caused by initial, intentional, motivated, strategically designed disinformation. So disinformation is exactly that. Disinformation is somebody presenting what they know to be false as true, what they know to be fake as real, and trying to get other people to believe it. And that's what we're talking about. Intentional, self-aware, knowing disinformation networks who are trying to trick people who they interact with online. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, why are we talking so much about Twitter? By far the smallest of the dominant social media networks, if you compare TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, by users, by actual audience, by participating users and members of the social media app. But the reason why we talk about Twitter is that Twitter is way influential relative to its size because Twitter has become and has for a long time been, I mean, it's getting battered now by Elon Musk's insane decision-making that is honestly detrimental for the world. <laughs> but, yo, I'm laughing because it's true and I'm sad about it. Uh, but uh, Twitter has for the longest time become the world's kind of like town hall marketplace center of ideas and throwing of thoughts and knowledge. And what that means is that Twitter is used by politicians and powerful people to posit arguments. It's used by journalists to put out their work, but also to glean what might be topical or interesting or of consequence for people. And so Twitter has an outsized influence on mainstream media and the news and politics. So Twitter is the best place if you want to influence mainstream media, the news, and politics. Twitter is the best social media network still to get to work. Right, so let's talk about how disinformation networks are currently using Twitter to try and pull the wool over the eyes of South Africans, including mainstream media and politicians. And it's a very simple two-part strategy. The first one is marketing. The second one is lies. Now, I know you might be thinking, Dan, all marketing is lies. I don't need a bajillion of the bajillion one things that I, you know, marketers try and convince me. I just have to have to transform my life, almost like a religious experience, like finding religion. Now, if anybody in marketing is listening, obviously not everything you say is lies. 
obviously some exaggerations of the truth or overextensions of the meaning of life you can find in this toaster are more fanciful and imaginative than others. And obviously some of you marketers really just do say what's on the tin is in the tin, right? It's beans. I get that. But you know, <laughs> some of it's marketing and some of it's lies. So let's start with the marketing. And social media, unfortunately, has become an incredibly effective tool for people engaged in what are actually quite traditional classic marketing strategies. And the strategies that disinformation networks use are often the same as conventional marketing strategies from a PR team that say might want to sell you a toaster or an air fryer. Remember how big air fryers were on Twitter for a long time and everybody was tweeting about them uh, or maybe a celebrity. So say a song is coming out by any particular artist. There are many modern ways that a PR firm will try to make it seem like a huge deal for a lot of people because that is a great way that uh, humans are able to get other humans to take an issue seriously is to say, look at all the other people who care about this thing. I don't know if you know about that trick that can happen where like if you and a couple of friends or even one other person who you know go and stand in a mall and you just stand in one of the corridors between the shops and if you two or three of you just stare up at a point uh, on the wall near the ceiling and you just look at it even if there's nothing there a crowd will gather and stop and look up because they will they will be able to see even from walking up to you that there's nothing there but the fact that you're giving them a uh, giving your attention to this imaginary thing up on this wall in an unusual way makes other people stop and look and it's the same when you look on a poster or you look in a newspaper and you think to yourself, wow, this poster says that thousands of people are trying to buy these tickets and it's about to sell out. Even though if it was really about to sell out, they probably wouldn't tell you that because they would have sold out just fine. It's all about trying to convince people to give something a little bit of attention by convincing them that lots of other people are giving them that attention. And on social media, particularly Twitter, it's incredibly easy to do that because on Twitter, we have visible evidence on every post and this is true of all social media, but I'm talking about Twitter here, as I've said before, on every single post of how many other humans care about it. So you have a retweet function. It's now called a repost, but we're adults, so we're going to call it a retweet function. You've got a like function. You've got comments. And you can see beneath every post how many accounts. Now, careful, I'm using the word accounts here specifically, not people. How many Twitter accounts have reposted, comment, and liked this tweet, this post? Elon Musk has also brought back a blanket thing, which is just called views. And we have no idea what a view means. Like, is it a view if I just rapidly scroll past something and can't even read it because I'm just trying to get further down my feed? Is it a view if I stopped and looked at it for five seconds and the app could tell that I'd stopped and looked at it for five seconds? We don't know. But there's this thing called views. And if we see two million views on something, we'll probably look at it because in our minds, we very plainly and normally and reasonably go, wow, two million views. There's a lot of views. Lots of people spend time looking at this. I should check out what this is. But I use the word accounts very specifically because you know yourself that you can open 100 email accounts through Google or Gmail or anywhere else. And you can, from that, create 100 Twitter accounts and you can put fake pictures, fake profiles, even just anonymous because, you know, we're perfectly happy and comfortable with seeing anonymous users with fake or clearly not their own authentic name and pictures in their profiles. And if you make 100 of those uh, accounts, then you can pick any any tweet that you want in the whole world, no matter what it says, and you can use all your 100 counts to repost it 100 times. And suddenly it's got 100 posts and people are going to look at it and go, wow, it's got 100 reposts. And we as humans, we reasonably know at the, in our frontal lobe of our minds and our conscious minds that just because two posts have 100 reposts, they don't necessarily both have the same number of people reposting or caring about that post. They just have the same number of accounts. 
but we subconsciously, there's too much information, there's too much information overload. And when we're using Twitter, we're not going to go and look into the 100 reposts and look up all the accounts that did it and go, wow, there are a lot of anonymous pictures here, a lot of anonymous accounts and authentic ones. I wonder whether or not this is one person or a campaign trying to dupe us by presenting as 100 people because that's the problem. 100 accounts looks the same as 100 accounts on the analytics beneath the post, irrespective of whether it's 100 authentic accounts of 100 different people or maybe 99 accounts run by one person who's the 100th authentic account. And if we really went in and looked at all these 99 accounts, we might notice that, oh, these accounts only repost about Justin Bieber and they only do it when Bieber's put out a new album. That's sus. It's not our job to do that. And it would be impossible to take that kind of fact-checking leveling approach every single time we see a post on Twitter. But... As I just explained to you, as I just showed you, it's so easy to do that. And marketers are doing this around the world for bona fide celebrities and also for new products and also for all kinds of brands. And that feels like disinformation to me. That is misrepresenting how many authentic people really care about this thing. But there's another problem because the average human being using Twitter is not investigating each post. But the algorithm isn't either. Because remember, all social media algorithms try to boost posts that they deem to be, that they perceive to be popular. And so if you have 100 accounts that are all inauthentic and they're working just from you, maybe you have a program, a software piece to like make all of those accounts tweet about a specific thing or repost a specific thing, that suddenly gets 100 posts in, say, a minute, the algorithm will go, oh, this post is doing really well. We'll show this to even more authentic humans. And then even more authentic humans will see this post And even more authentic humans will go, wow, there's a lot of humans interacting on this post or at least a lot of accounts. Maybe we should care about this thing. And then suddenly everybody's listening to Justin Bieber's new song. I only picked Justin Bieber because huge pop star and I couldn't pick Taylor Swift because the Swifties would eat me alive for using her, even as a thought experiment example of potential bullshit online. So I've just described to you how a certain kind of marketing works and how easy it is to do people using the way that social media, but particularly Twitter is built to make a post look like it's authentically important to a lot of people when it's not. But then after that, what could happen is a lot of people could listen to this new Bieber song and think, oh, you know, a lot of people like this song. Maybe I also not like this song having heard it and I'll also post about it. Or they'll say, I don't like it, but they'll post about that. And that'll get even more people to, to, to give attention to the song. And the algorithm will give the song even more primacy or at least post about the song. And suddenly you have a successful marketing campaign, even if it's based on totally inauthentic twisting of the social media app. And that is exactly how disinformation networks that are more malevolent work too, that maybe aren't trying to sell you uh, Justin Bieber's new song. Maybe they're trying to sell you a big old dose of xenophobia. And this is what the CABC and others have found. And by the way, this isn't a unique problem to South Africa. This is all around the world, how fake news is spread effectively, where a group of people will make a mutual agreement that whether for pay or just for their own passion, for their own beliefs, they will create a raft of inauthentic accounts. And those accounts' only job will be to repost all of the other accounts of the people in this disinformation network, which means that whenever any of these people in this disinformation network post about whatever they're trying to sell, all the other accounts will also repost and interact and comment and tweet. And that will lift up these posts in the algorithm and get more authentic real people using their real accounts online, their authentic ones to see these posts. And it really is hiding in plain sight. Like, I'm not stretching here. I'm not imagining that in theory this is how it could work. 
if you go on to certain massive posts and you go and look at the clearly anonymous and authentic accounts that often repost them, you go in and have a look, you will find that maybe they are dormant for six months. And then suddenly they tweet a hundred times in a day about whatever they're trying to sell. And then they go dormant again and they only exist for that thing. And Elon's Twitter has made that even worse because now you can pay $8 a month a subscription. And from that $8 a month, which by the way is more expensive than uh, subscribing to our Patreon, that $8 a month gives you a blue tick, which means that whenever you post, your posts are better treated by the algorithm. They end up on more people's feeds and higher up on more people's feeds. And so disinformation networks with a bit, bit of budget can create 100 accounts and buy a blue tick for all of them. So whenever they post or repost, those posts go super high. And that's what we've already seen with the RET hashtag, right? Radical Economic Transformation, the pro-Zuma, anti-Ramaphosa, ANC infighting, factional squabble agenda that's been peddled and largely debunked. We all know that this was concocted in a London boardroom by a, a company that no longer exists called Bell Pottinger to sell an agenda, right? We know it's been debunked, but this is how it was built in the first place. Well, one of the things, because we still need to talk about brazen lies. We're now just talking about marketing, however different that might be. So they did this. They created so many accounts, inauthentic accounts, and they used those accounts on a pre-agreed network to boost particular posts, to give them a lot of primacy, got hashtags to trend. And of course, when you go into Twitter, you see the trends for your country, you go and have a look because you think, again, authentically, this matters to a lot of people who have interacted with this such that it will trend. And that is exactly how these kinds of agendas end up in mainstream media, end up being taken seriously by the news. Because journalists go online to get, because Twitter has been such a convenient thing in this age of journalism, whether these radical budget cuts, all journalists are under-resourced and overworked and have deeply unreasonable um, outputs, like amounts of articles they need to write. And they also know that they put out an article on something that is trending on Twitter, then that article will do well because when people look at that Twitter trend, they'll see, oh, an article from X news organization. And so these disinformation networks, or just let's just say marketing campaigns for now, uh, end up getting real news media attention. Wasn't it extraordinary how with absolutely no evidence at all, just a Twitter conspiracy from somebody with a blue tick that maybe Iran funded South Africa's case against Israel at the ICJ. Suddenly, two days later, there was a think opinion piece that maybe this had happened in a, one of the most prominent newspapers in South Africa. Like that is crazy. But that's just because of a campaign to prioritize or give primacy to an idea on Twitter that was so effective that it either duped a journalist or duped a journalist and the journalist realized it was in a good journalistic incentive to have an article out on that because lots of clicks, good clicks, good indicators, good metrics, good numbers, good day for their news publication. Bad day for the truth. And some of these disinformation networks are crazy, by the way. I mentioned software earlier. Like, there are some of these accounts that lay dormant for six months, these inauthentic accounts that suddenly then tweet about a particular topic faster than a human being can tweet, like hundreds of tweets within hours, like tweets every like 20 to 40 seconds, like literally physically faster than a human can tweet. And they are mobilized, automated, pre-programmed to do that very, very effectively. In fact, some of the CABC research has shown that, that on certain topics, like say, RET or put South Africa first, there'll be organically about 2000 tweets a day using the hashtag across the whole of Twitter on average for months. And then the very next day with no media incidents to inspire further attention, suddenly there'll be 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, 5,000 in like hours. 
and that is all pre-programmed and machinated and you are able to go and see it yourself if you just gave yourself the time to go and have a look around. So that's the marketing. You can interpret how bad that is. It's pretty harmless when it's boosting a new Bieber song maybe, unless you hate Bieber, in which case it's very bad. Uh, it's very bad when it's pushing disinformation that is trying to influence a country to a new agenda. And this is where we talk about the lies. So here's something else that disinformation networks have done incredibly effectively and for years now by the way like 10 years on social media if not longer we've seen it happen with Cambridge Analytica in America we've seen it with Belpod and Jahir we've seen it with unsuccessful disinformation networks like the white genocide disinformation attempts or at least you know claims from a lot of inauthentic accounts that there's a huge crisis of that in South Africa go listen to our last week's episode to know that there isn't So what all these disinformation networks also do is they mix in lies with truth that could advance their agenda. Because people setting up disinformation networks know that if they just do brazen and open fake news, people will see through it. But if they can mix in fake news with true news and people can go, oh, I mean, that bit I've seen in other news networks is true then they might believe the whole thing. And it's not separate tweets, by the way, over weeks. Sometimes it's mixed in in the same tweet. So in the same tweet, the first half of the tweet will largely regurgitate some true news stories and then uh, accredit it to a news organization. Um, But maybe that article is behind a paywall. And so the first half is true. Maybe it's in the headline. But the second half of the tweet's claim is not true. It's lies. But people read the first half and go, oh, this is probably a true tweet. They're never going to go behind the paywall if they're not subscribed. Or maybe even if they have subscribed, they're not going to bother to go and check. And then they believe the second half as much as they believe the first half. Active disinformation and lies. And it gets deeper than that, too. I mean, very, very often uh, material like videos are taken from other whole countries, other whole crises and posted with captions that claim something else on a different part of the internet. So say, for example, a couple of times this has happened, uh, videos of people assaulting each other or stealing something have been posted on the xenophobic campaign South Africa First Operation Dadula style South African uh, internet. And it will say like, oh, Zimbabwean does this, or Malawian does that, or Nigerian or Botswana does this. And then if you just took that video and put it into Google and reverse searched it, you would discover that actually, no, this happened between, not even in South Africa, this was like, two Malians in Mali or uh, from a completely different continent, sometimes in South America. Uh, But we, the normal people, don't have the time to do the super sleuthing on every single article and every single claim and every single video. And that stuff spreads like wildfire almost before anybody has the ability to comprehensively say, no, that's bullshit. Boosted, obviously, by this network of uh, disinformation in authentic accounts that are going to give it primacy in the algorithm no matter what the post is. And I saw this vividly on the morning of that awful, historically devastating and uh, fatal building fire in the Joburg CBD. You'll remember it. It was a massive story. I was on air on my radio show, on The Breakfast Show, and from the 6 a.m. news, there were these news reports of this terrible fire that had taken place in the CBD and that emergency services and uh, government authorities were rushing to the scene. And by 7.30... The top trend on Twitter in South Africa, and I was watching this happen live, was Joburg CBD fire by accounts that were claiming that the fire happened because the building had been hijacked by foreigners specifically and then illegal immigrants specifically and that the fire was caused by illegal immigrants specifically. But they were making these claims before any news media, any reliable authority 
anyone had got to the scene to find out the truth. But they'd already made that the story by the time the news media and politicians and emergency services and government authorities got to the scene. And so for anybody waking up later than me who would not seen this unfold in real time, they'd go online and see what seemed to be comprehensive evidence, comprehensive consensus amongst thousands and thousands of users that it was illegal immigrants who had done this, who had committed this terrible, terrible travesty. Because all the biggest tweets carrying this hashtag had got thousands of affirming retweets and posts and comments and all this by those disinformation networks. Now, it turns out in the end that that building had been hijacked by a gang and we don't know uh, the identity of the gang. It also turns out that that building had a mix of immigrants and South Africans living in it, renting it. And we have no way of knowing whether or not they were illegal because they were not put through a process to show their documentation. So, like... It was just a very successful disinformation taking advantage of that situation and became the comprehensive narrative and stoked xenophobic fears even before we can know the truth. That's how they work. And so now you know how they work. Where are we now on Cyril's corner of the internet? Well, it turns out it's very much not Cyril's corner of the internet because the two most successful disinformation networks that are having a massive influence still and are said to have a huge influence on the 2024 election, agenda setting what the biggest issues should be, are anti-Cyril. So the first one is radical economic transformation. And the RET faction is still going very strong online. It was an extremely compelling, convincing argument that was sold initially to, to help Zuma, obviously. Well, listen, I also need to mention this. All the CABC's research and others has not been able to trace back who is funding these campaigns. So I can't tell you at all that a particular politician or group is funding these disinformation networks, these campaigns. But you can look at who stands to benefit from these campaigns and agendas being successful and think to yourself, I'm not saying they're funding it or directly involved, but they are benefiting. That's interesting. Who would want them to benefit? So... Zuma and his RET faction, and now the, his newly formed Mkonto Wesizwe party, stands to benefit from the RET disinformation network. And the RET uh, disinformation campaign is, a, again, a perfect example of mixing in the truth with some lies to form a conspiracy. So the RET claim is that all big business is still owned by white minority capital. That's white people owning all of the business, and they've bought off the politicians and the media, and they exist to buy off a few black people. Uh, to keep total power and for the rest of the time to enrich white South Africans and to keep black South Africans poor. Now, what is true is that the whole of South African business is pretty much owned by white people after apartheid. That makes perfect sense. And the apartheid system was a deeply economic system as much as it was a militaristic weapons and guns and violence oppression because it existed to keep black people poor and unemployed and desperate and willing to take any pay so that they would then uh, work on favorable terms for the big bosses and the companies and the big owners of the companies who are all white South Africans. So that is true. So the RET agenda plays off that specific truth to create fears that this is still the case. And it is literally true. It is still the case that the vast majority of big business in South Africa is in the hands of white business people. That just is true. But then the RET uh, agenda then started to tell, I'm going to say untruths because any claim without evidence can't be assumed as a truth. Okay, fine. I'm going to say not evidenced truths. Started to put forward not evidenced truths that say 
certain members of the ANC who are anti-Zuma like Ramaphosa were in cabal with white minority capital and that they all continually colluded and had meetings where they agreed on specific where they agreed on specific explicit strategies to keep black people on the whole poor. And who stood to benefit from that? Zuma, who said that he was the man who was helping genuine black South Africans and that they were trying to take him out and stop him. It's a great way for him to argue that there's a hidden agenda in all of these court proceedings, these court cases against him. It's a great way for him to argue and explain why he was removed from power in the African National Congress. And remember, when he said he was going to campaign for the Mkonto Wesizwe party now, and uh, he specifically said that it was because the ANC had become run by sellouts, like sellouts to white minority capital, sellouts of black people, and apartheid collaborators, which works exactly into that agenda. So RET continues to try and bash Ramaphosa and the ANC and strengthen at least Zuma, maybe also Julius Malema's critique of South African life uh, as the head of the economic freedom fighters. But the more recent devastatingly successful disinformation network has been broadly the one trying to stoke xenophobia in South Africa. It's under two dominant hashtags. The first one is Put South Africa First, and the second one is Operation Dudula, which refers to this vigilante organization of South Africans who are going out and meeting violence on foreigners and immigrants, making them fearful uh, and acting, to be clear, illegally and meeting out justice that they are not allowed to meet out in the name of terrifying, driving away, and sometimes killing immigrants, whether they are documented or not. And all that I've just described about how to run a disinformation network is being used incredibly effectively to stoke xenophobic hatred and fear in South Africa. It's exactly what happened on that morning with the Joburg CBD fires that I witnessed happening on Twitter in real time as I was sitting on air, trying not to get incredibly upset by what I saw as the fee disaster being manufactured. And you can see the consequence of that campaign loud and clear. A raft of right-wing politicians with new parties have been benefiting from the creation of the foreigner as the enemy who's come to steal your jobs, steal your women, uh, you know, drive you out of your own communities, take the wealth out of, that is owed to you from the government out of your mouths. Herman Mashaba, selling himself as the classic right-wing, hard-on-crime, hyper-security strongman, had a staggeringly impressive, record-breaking debut for his new political party, Action SA, in the 2021 local government elections, based a lot off of this online campaign that put him in the center of fights against the evil foreigner. In fact, all the data is there about how many of his tweets were retweeted and posted by these uh, inauthentic accounts, these disinformation networks that were trying to peddle xenophobia to South African people. Now, again, I'm not saying that he funded that, but it sure is interesting that all of his stuff got pushed so hard for a while. The newest one who's getting pushed is Gaten McKenzie with the Patriotic Alliance, who's pulling off those stunts at the border. And the truth of the matter is that the vast majority of crime in South Africa, by all data, is committed by South Africans. And the vast majority of uh, immigrants in this country, whether legal or, or illegal, are not stealing anybody's jobs, and they're not driving South Africans out of home, and they're not committing crime. But... The disinformation networks have made it seem as though it's a massive issue for millions of South Africans, which has caused millions of South Africans using social media to respond to that thinking that it is authentically a massive issue for other South Africans and has incited fear and hatred within more South Africans, incited paranoia in real South Africans from inauthentic posts and campaigns. And it's duped mainstream media who, again, 
have been peddling this, ignoring the data and just regurgitating these disinformation talking points from Twitter. And it has now affected mainstream politics because of the rise in popularity of these right-wing, hard-on-crime, you know, wink-nudge xenophobes like the Patriotic Alliance and like Action SA, who will probably do fairly well for a debut in the national election coming up. And it's even caused the ANC and the EFF, who for so long have championed the fact that they are um, pan-African and accepting of all Africans and not xenophobic, it's even caused them to start talking about and make an issue of undocumented migrants in South African communities. So, now you know how disinformation networks are built and work and influence South African life and life all around the world. And now you also know about two of the most successful dominant and already influential campaigns that have already had an influence on South Africa's politics in the highest corridors of power. And now we need to figure out how to fight that. Now we need to figure out how to get counter-narratives out that can call this out and stop people from being duped and tricked by the disinformation. In fact, you can hear a little bit about how the CABC does that in that exclusive expert interview with Kamar and Peter that's up on our Patreon. Because the CABC identifies, analyzes to understand, and then intervenes against disinformation networks in a variety of very effective ways. And we need more of that. So that's the issue with disinformation in South Africa and on the South African internet. Thank you so much for listening to The Issue with Dan Corder. This is our Monday release of a deep cut analysis into a big issue facing the country. We'll be back on Thursday, as you know already, with news worth knowing as we recap and try to understand and figure out the big impact of the biggest news stories facing South Africa in the seven days before this coming Thursday. As always, you can watch these episodes up on YouTube. The video analysis is there. And don't forget, if you haven't yet, we would so appreciate a like and a follow or subscribe wherever you are listening from. It costs you nothing at all, at all, no pain whatsoever, and helps us make the show a little better, a little brighter, and a little stronger. Thank you for listening. See you in a few days.